the talk tonight is material comforts hydra and um, these are one of the three heads of the the hydra to do the physical plane and it's actually quite important it's a talk in a sense I've given before I've given the subject before but I want to re renew it and give a little bit more insights into it and um, it's probably the most pernicious poisonous or evil of all of the hydras or evils affecting the planet today. I basically see it as the root cause of virtually everything that you think of as evil on this planet. What I call here the mother of all evils. I had a just quick thought about what the father may be, and it's probably separativeness. And the, the child of those two, which is probably difficult to um, understand. Material comforts hydras, incidentally, for all of you that um, may not know what that means, um, all of you should be aware what a hydra is. It's um, uh, that which um, Hercules battled in the swamp. It's the swamp of desire, and the hydra is that which... Uh, afflicts all of you, it's got nine heads and you chop off one and two more appear in its place and uh, we've gone into this subject before so I don't want to go into the, the most elementary aspects of this teaching you can read this in Labors of Hercules and other books but um, the separativeness and, um, and uh, material comforts if you look at one as the father, one as the mother. Separativeness, of course, is that which um, causes you to separate each other in your thinking, um, that you are different to someone else, that this planet is different from another planet, whatever you want to think of. It produces war, hatred, aggressiveness, um, producing territorial conquests, um, you know, and little boundaries of personal self, uh, aggression, all of those types of things. Um, but material uh, comforts hydras is much more pernicious. It's much more pervasive in many ways and it's uh, much more powerful. The, uh, I was looking at the, the possible union of those two and I just thought in terms of the son of you what is the separative family unit. We'll go into all of this maybe later. Now, all of you are uh, afflicted with this because, of course, it's our mass commercial ads. Everywhere you go, you look in the papers and the television set, you're driving in the car, wherever you go on the internet, there's ad after ad after ad after ad after ad telling you to buy things. It's an incessant sort of um, propaganda machine that um, is designed to stimulate your desire body to make you acquire virtually anything under the sun. And um, so the entire consumer society is based on material comfort hydras. Uh, planned obsolescence. Everything that you, you can think of that um, ruins the ecosystem of the planet is based upon this um, uh, incessant um, need to acquire more and more material things in order to make your life more comfortable. Things you don't really need. Things that are unessential in your life. Things that break down. And of course things are made to break down so that you buy more. Buy more, buy more. 
um, work and slave your life away uh, so that you can have a house around you um, with a heavy mortgage. That's where most people, other people can actually inherit their houses. Fine, great. Um, But it's this type of lifestyle that this entire society feeds the children to desire all the way from when they're very, very young. Um, Sweets, lollies, candies, uh, all sorts of toys packaged in nice little sort of neat uh, colourful wrappings with a huge sort of um, multi-billion dollar machine um, advertising it all in order that you get hooked into material comforts hydras um, from a very, very early age indeed. And of course, most adults are so addicted to it that don't even realise um, that it's a deadly poison. Most of you um, have very little concept of um, what life was like a uh, hundred years ago and or um, what life would be like if you were actually trained to be in a monastery a hundred years ago or a yogi. Um, you basically had a one cloth that was your clothing in a, in a beggar's bowl and um, well, that was it. That was all you needed for material comforts and a cave maybe to live in. And um, basically, the, the battle between you as disciples and that entire consumerism society, consumptive, galloping consumption, uh, you can understand this battle. Um, we also here in this property live um, in the throes of material comforts hydras. Um, I've been battling material comforts hydras and my disciples all my life. It's almost impossible to overcome it in the Western materialistic sense. Um, material comforts hydra and materialism are virtually synonymous terms. Material things. I see um, people buying for themselves what, um, what they could share and should be sharing with others. You know, it's all the individual comforts plus the group comforts and it produces a whole pot puree of wastage of resources. And every bit of those resources is taken from the environment. It produces huge garbage dumps, mountains of, uh, of rubbish um, and landfills and that, um, of waste. They destroy whole mountains and rainforests in order to um, build... Um, the contrivances, all the things that the consumer society um, quickly dis- um, destroys, um, consumes and throws into the slag heap of history or a rubbish dump of history. Level after level after level of rubbish is consumed um, at the cost of your oceans, at the cost of the environment, at the cost of the air you breathe, uh, at the cost of people's sanity, So consumerism, acquisitiveness, rapacity, cupidity, there's many, many uh, ways we can look at this. And it's fed by mass indoctrination to get people to buy things. Very few people actually ask why um, the advertisement industry is so powerful in order to get you to buy things, to consume more things and to never stop consuming. And they make it as easy as possible. They invent plastic credit cards. 
um, so that you can buy more things on credit. So this um, consumerism, you're quite well know, you're quite well know. It's basically the the fashion industry and and their naked women, sort of um, giving lots of ads to to lots of um, people and women sort of enjoy those types of images as well. Um, but what's the basis behind it is um, the fiat currency system, uh, the debt system. Fiat currency, what is that? It's um, a money um, paper that uh, a government prints, makes and puts a number of zeros on it, or one with any number of zeros on it, and tells you this is legal tender. And depending on the number of zeros, you are happy to have this bit of paper. And with that, and for that, you will give your soul, your work, and work and work and slave and slave and slave all your life worrying about how many of these bits of paper you can acquire for yourself. Because the government demands that you go into debt. Without debt, and without people going to mass debt, this society would crumble. It will collapse like a deck of cards. They want you to enslave yourself to a continuous cycle of debt, a continuous cycle of working for a boss so that the government can print more paper and reap the rewards of whatever you've slaved for in order to get that paper. It's quite a simple concept, is it not? And um, fiat currency. It's not based on anything. It's not based on anything tangible. The old gold-backed currency has been destroyed. It's now a version of the American paper money. And nowadays it's digital money. Very, it's only about 3% of the world's currency actually exists in paper now. The rest of it is made by banks by um, keying a few computer strokes on a computer. Um, and that's the way they, they, they printed it, the Federal Reserve in America and our um, version of it here in Australia and all over the world. A billion dollars? No problem for these um, big bankers. They just type in a one and nine noughts and there you've got it. And it represents an enormous amount of power. With that billion dollars then they buy planes and all of the rest of it and bomb countries. Because that um, one with nine noughts on the end of it doesn't really mean much unless somebody is willing to um, give them their resources some countries willing to give them resources for that paper or for what that represents as paper. That's the way the American system works. Um, basically, it's in a privileged position. It spends close to, um, when you add it all up, um, it's $595 billion on, on armaments, but it comes to closer to $1.2 trillion. Uh, if you know what a trillion dollars is, it's got 12 noughts to it on everything related, such as the CIA and the, all these other sort of agencies and spying agencies that all relate to war. That's what America spends annually. And how does it get this money? It gets it because the whole world currency reserve is based on its paper. It prints the paper, the rest of the world... The, you know, they, they, they've convinced all of the oil cartel to only sell oil in American dollars. 
Well, it's quite easy. They print the paper and they swap a, a shipload full of paper for a shipload full of oil, or shiploads full of oil. But basically, in the end of it, the interest that America gets out of this um, uh, printing of paper or, or the digital money that they make is their military industry. They get it free. They don't have to do a thing for it. All of the, the raw materials, all of the resources, all of the technology is given to them by the rest of the world simply because they've made it their reserve currency. And why? And what is the basis of all of this? Material comforts hydrates. A lot of yobos all over the world are willing to slave day in and day out for that paper. They sell their souls for it. They lie, cheat, steal, etc. for it. And so, the whole world lives in debt. Unfortunately, we're at a crisis point now for the world because the debt has reached such staggering proportion because the idiots in the American system, rather than printing their own money, no, 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 they won't print their own money, they've gone into the private enterprise system to the nth degree of stupidity. They actually have um, um, get private bankers to print it for them so that they can buy it off them and give them interest. The interest alone is something like $300 billion a year. Staggering amount of debt that taxpayers working overtime have to pay off. And likewise in Australia and everywhere else all over the world. It's all based on people's desire, people's greed. They want more and more things and there's a medium of exchange called currency, fiat money, paper. So the governments um, perpetuate debt. Everything is made so more and more debt accumulates. Unfortunately now, the debt has accumulated so high since 1971 when they went off a AR of 1972 and they went off the gold-backed um, gold currency to fiat currency that they can't pay it back. There's no way. And therefore, it means war. War because that is the way to get more resources and to eventually um, get rid of your debt. They've got other plans, but I won't go into it. But this is all based on material comforts hydrants. That's its foundation. Therefore, when any of you buy more, consume more than you need, you are feeding the war machine of this planet. You're feeding the destruction of the environment. You're polluting the air. You're the cause of it just as much as anyone else. This group and all of hierarchy's groups are supposed to be parsimonious, supposed to be frugal, supposed to think all the time at correct resource sharing. Limit your material comforts, desires to bare minimum. Only buy what you need, only consume what you need, no more. That which makes you comfortable, yes, but not excessively so. We're supposed to be following the Buddha's noble middle way in all things. I can't spell this out strongly enough to all disciples. How pernicious and how basic this particular evil is. 
those of you that, that um, are complaining about the world's um, catastrophes and disasters and all the rest of it, the root cause is yourself. And the way you share this particular hydra with the rest of humanity. Overconsumption, etc., and things that are not needed. So, it produces a depletion of planetary resources. And all of you can understand this. We produce garbage dumps full of made-in-China goods and um, whatever else, plastic goods, for what? My next um, point here, it produces theft, aggression, wars to steal resources from other countries, global warming, if you want to believe in that, etc. Because it's not just individuals that want to steal from other individuals, take from them their resources, plot and plan how they can get resources from other individuals. There's legalised thieving as well as um, um, non-legal thieving. There's so many laws now made that, that's allowing the, the top um, 1 or 2 or 3% of the, of, the, of the nations to feed from the rest of us. This is legalised thieving on a massive scale. But there's other laws that also, such as the insurance laws, that, that um, work all the way through the society um, to make us live in a type of casino consciousness. Rapaciousness, rapacity is um, part of the um, concept here. This was one of the main problems of ancient Atlantis and why it was destroyed. You've all heard of plagues of locusts and all the other types of famines and ravages of time or through time. This is the Lord of the world giving the due karma back to those individuals who are involved in material compass hydrates on a national or international scale. The locusts come and consume everything that you hold dear. And humanity is a locust or a plague upon the planet, upon the face of this planet, because of this particular hydra. Deadly, deadly, deadly. So, it's not only individuals that make war upon their societies to steal or amass things for themselves, but nations do the same. And they've done it since time immemorial. And they're doing it in Libya and Afghanistan and in Iraq right now. And I don't know how many dozen wars um, America has um, committed since 1945 um, for this very purpose, to steal resources from third world countries and the establishment of the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, the GATT and all these other um, trade organisations. Um, it's all for the same purpose, material comforts hydras. Nations competing against each other nations in order to acquire for the members of that nation or the, the, the plutocracy of that nation unlimited wealth and power. And everyone suffers as a consequence. So, point number five on my list is basic human selfishness, acquisitiveness, is a major Atlantean trait. I've already mentioned the, the um, result that nature or the lord of the world, the mother of the world, um, gives to the karma of this. 
Um, people are born in Africa and places like this. I've always said um, to my students in the past that India um, has got enough spare places in their slums to house all of America's um, materialists, those that are involved in material plane comforts, hydrants, those that are busy acquiring things for themselves at the expense of um, everyone else, at the expense of modern nature. Yes, let all those 300 million people in America live for a life or two in the slums of India to learn what life is like without all of those material plane trappings. And of course we could say the same for the materialists in Australia and um, the rest of the first world. There's plenty of places in Africa and South America for these people ensconced in this particular hydra to learn what it is like to live in abject poverty. What it is like to um, live in a condition where you've been stolen from all your life, where your labour is worth nothing, or next to nothing. Where, of course, if you're lucky you can get a job. To produce the basic amenities in life, a bit of water and some shelter over you. And, believe me, this particular trait in ancient Atlantis, the witches of Atlantis, they empowered, embodied this particular hydra through and through. They produced their separative um, little enclaves of materialism, everything for themselves at the expense of everyone else. It's a feminine trait. It's the mother of all evil. As I said, um, separativeness and the aggression that comes from that is the father aspect or the masculine aspect of this type of consumptive um, plague that's affecting our planet today. This is the higher correspondence or the more material correspondence of ancient Atlantis that we're living through now. In those days, there were psychic powers that were used on a massive scale also to, acquisit, to acquire things. It wasn't just pretty material things they wanted, it was lots of psychic embellishments, um, psychic utopias that they built around themselves, spells and all the rest of it to acquire things of the imagination. Be aware of this particular um, fact that the karma necessitates something like um, consumptive uh, locusts um, manifesting upon the face of this earth or a massive war that destroys everything that people think they need in life. Their home comforts must go. One way or the other. Famine, um, tornadoes, um, hurricanes, tsunamis nuclear disaster, whatever is the plague that is unleashed upon humanity to teach them what not to do. The most pernicious of all crimes. And these Western societies and the people in them are steeped in this particular hydra, in this particular evil. They don't think much of it. To them it's just the way that they are bred 
to think. So point number six here. To overcome necessitates careful analysis of your desire body, of the way the solar plexus works, um, with respect to mass social indoctrination. So how does your desire body work with respect to the way that society indoctrinates you to consume, 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 and consume? To deplete the resources um, that uh, are given to you on this planet to make your life more and more comfortable than you really need. To make you want to work and work and work in order to get those things. What is the right for you in your environment? What is the right middle of the road? Material comforts, lifestyle that you should be living. And what is wrong? What is excessive? Get rid of the excess. It's not needed. And believe me, the period of time we're entering into now is going to teach all of humanity that they don't need much of what they thought they needed before. These wars is going to produce that. And it's not just um, having bombs land on your houses. It's also um, genetically engineered near diseases affecting plant crops or your food crops, radiation falling from the sky and making it even worse. So you can't even eat what you want to eat. And believe me, um, food and um, over-intoxication on necessary types of food is another material comforts hydra. Think of the way people consume themselves or consume um, the resources of this planet through overeating or eating the wrong types of food. Not giving a thought as to um, where that food comes from. And it's equanimity with respect to the poor and the impoverished and the rest of the world. Of course, nowadays, um, uh, because of people's desire for gasoline, they are converting a lot of the food crops, the world's food crops, into ethanol. Another pernicious material compass, hydro. Yes? Most of America's corn now is turned into ethanol. They don't use scraps, they use the best farming land to produce this um, sugar, high sugar, high carbohydrate um, crops. Not scrap land, but the very best land, because it produces it the best and fastest way. So, food prices are going up massively, and people living on the edge in the third world are starving, rioting. So, how does your solar plexus work with regards to your own desires for things? What is it, and which way have you been conditioned to consume things that you shouldn't be consuming? These are meditations that each individual must work upon um, in their own private lives. If they're going to be disciples, if they're actually going to be honest with themselves with regards to um, battling the planetary evil. And believe me, everything that you consume has got its karmic price tag attached to it. 
There's no karma. I mean, there's no karma-free action that you do. What is it produces suffering, disease and sickness upon this planet? And what is it that actually produces health and beneficence? When you add your weight to that which produces karma, disease, sickness, depletion of resources, then you will suffer the karmic consequences. If you actually think seriously with everything you do, as to the consequences of your actions, the consequences of your thoughts, the consequences of your desires, then hopefully you won't have that much karma. Those of you or those people that are born in poverty are born in poverty precisely because they've abused the material comforts, hydras and formal lives. Those people are born in wealth are born in wealth so that they can use their wealth rightly to offset the poverty and suffering of those around them. That is what they expect to do. So, how are you personally indoctrinated? What is it you personally desire that you don't need? And why is it that you desire these things? What is the purpose of those things if they are necessary or superfluous to your life? Why consume more petrol than you need? Why drive more in the car than you need to drive? Why have more than one car if you're a family and so forth? Many, many ways of looking at your personal lifestyle and how you can improve so that you're not born in abject poverty in India or South America or some other place. And believe me, you will if you abuse this particular samskara. And these samskaras are very strong. They go all the way back to early Atlantean times. And those of you that come from the moon, uh, believe me, you really generated it there. So, point number seven. It necessitates properly planned social networks, community gardens and households unselfish sharing of resources, minimising of waste of every sort, concept of the poor, ah yes, so minimising of waste in every sense of the term, properly communal sharing. And this is the new age, um, the new society that will evolve out of this present one, of everyone aggressively um, trying to manifest the little empires of selfish concern of um, material comforts, hydras. Their cul-de-sacs of their, their most um, powerful empires of whatever they can amass for themselves. This is what our Western societies is built on. The New Age and what the masses are presently planning because of the fiat currency disaster is to get people to start sharing resources, to, to start growing communal gardens, to share um, car resources, building resources, um, to work for each other and not selfishly or not just for their selfish little separate family units, but to amalgamate family units into small communities and make those communities as self-resourceful as possible within the environment that they live in, the social structure, 
and then to network their resources to make the food that they grow um, and everything else that they do available to others at the most congenial price. I used to sort of um, like the concept of um, a new form of money, which is a work-based money. I give you um, three hours of my work service um, or my labour, and in exchange you will give me three hours of yours. It's a nice um, form of, um, of um, money, a fiscal um, form of money, yes. Um, you can invent little dockets and say three hours of labour. Um, equal. No billionaires can evolve out of that system. Um, back in our um, hippie days, we used to build houses for each other because everyone would get together. If somebody came onto the land um, and they needed their house, everyone built their house. It was simple. It was up in a week. No problem, they moved in. And then they helped with us in our um, communal gardens and things like that. This resource sharing of, um, of labour um, is the way to go and the future New World civilization will have much more of this sort of um, constructive and cooperative endeavour. You can give your surplus to somebody else of, your, of the harvest of your garden who is growing something that you need and so forth. The old barter system. It's worked for thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years quite well. Um, before they invented money. Money is a commodity of exchange and every unit of money has got its own karma attached to it. Unselfish sharing of resources. Of course, this particular society, all they teach you is selfishness. Selfishness and separativeness and material comforts hydrates. Because that's the way that the fiat currency system uh, called capitalism works. Capitalism demands that you buy consumer goods. What we're talking about is not capitalism, it's socialism, where we're giving to each other, giving to the society the rewards of our labour in exchange for the rewards of their labour. And that is the way hierarchy works. Everyone is working for the other unselfishly, spontaneously and lovingly. This is the basis of love. So, when a community such as like this arises, the, the communal material compass hydra needs to be looked at. What is it that is the right for the community as a whole without being excessive in material comforts? And the problem arises that everyone's individual little material compass hydras starts to bite in into the group and it produces excesses. And therefore one has to pair these individual material compass hydras down until there's a group um, cohesion, a group acceptance or a group acknowledgement that that and that and that is right and that and that and that and that is unnecessary and wrong for the group as a whole. Yeah. The group means the middle way, yeah. the proper middle road for everything that we do, everything you do. We're not expected to live in a dump. We're expected to live in a very pleasant, harmonious environment. 
you can um, manifest um, group sharing, group resources, um, the group spirit in such a way as we're trying to do here, where everyone's resources are pooled and as a result the, the group is benefited. But there are every now and then little um, racing horses of desire that sort of race this way and race that way without discussion and suddenly you get a hydra appearing, some stupidity that somebody has um, bought or squandered the group resources without proper consultation. And um, I'm sure it happens um, quite considerably in other groups. And it simply must stop. The racing horses of desire or desire mind must go. Because this is one of the main things you are being educated to teach the world. You are former yogis. And I started this off. What does, yo- what does a yogi need? Your former sadhus, your former Zen monks. Hmm? What did they live on? What did they really need? How did they produce their communities? That is basically the way we're supposed to live here um, within the modern context. Think it out more and start to apply the principles better. No more wastage of resources. The resources are there but they're not being used because everyone is selfish, self-centered, self-oriented. They've forgotten the basic, um, the basic rules of the road for communal living. The basic rules of the road. Monastic living, yes. <laughs> there is, of course, in the Bible, for instance, around the, the time of Jesus, the twelve that lived with him, that worked with Jesus, they also had this community spirit. It was not a modern new idea. It was ancient, ancient, ancient idea. Judas Iscariot um, held the purse, the collective purse of all the twelve. And um, when Jesus said, give to the poor, um, that's what that twelve were. And the community around them, collectively, they called themselves the poor. They were equally poor. Right? They equally shared in the resources, which wasn't much. They ate communal meals, a lot of the last supper and so forth. They didn't need much, not like we seem to need now. They didn't have cars and things like that to, to boggle their minds with with um, lots of material needs. Um, They didn't live in expensive houses. They walked around following Jesus wherever he went. They slept on the rocks. Uh, They didn't even have tents. Think of the type of lifestyle they actually lived. What about John the Baptist with sackcloth, um, living in the desert? That's the type of lifestyle in a sense that... If um, I was incarnate a few hundred years ago, you would be following me, living a lifestyle like that. Now we're living in this Western materialistic society where we're inundated, inundated with buy, 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 spend, 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 work, 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 buy, 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 and spend, spend, spend more. Free yourself from that paradigm. Because whenever you live in that paradigm, you are supporting the materialists, the capitalists, the super wealthy, the bankers. That's all you're doing is feeding that society. So, yeah, Judas was the holder of the purse. 
what his problem was when um, because they all lived very poor and you can understand even then they had to give their money to charity because there was even more poor people around them than them um, therefore money was tight and when this um, Mary Magdalene came with her lovely hair and this oil of spikenard and sort of um, wiped um, Jesus' feet with this you know, this was the most costly, costly perfume you could buy in those days. That little jar of, of, um, of oil she poured on Jesus' feet was worth a fortune. And Judas Iscariot was in outrage. That was the tipping stone that caused him to betray Jesus in the twelve. He said, how... Can we have to live so in so much poverty all this time? How can Jesus allow her to spend a fortune on his feet? Jesus said, you know, this is, she's um no I won't go into the full quotation, but it's something to do for my beneficence because I go to the Father soon and um, um he quite well knew the real value of money, but Judas didn't. And what I'm trying to get to you in this particular little story is the fact when you're having community lifestyle and the people are living as collectively the poor not, we can call ourselves collectively the wealthy as well if you want equally wealthy, equally poor nobody's got more resources than anyone else everyone is sharing the resources therefore if somebody comes and suddenly abuses those resources then there's jealousy um, separativeness anger and all these sorts of things that you just um, manifested and this is one of the the problems of group living and um, this is also one of the things that I also have to work with within a group like this because somebody buys themselves a super duper computer and somebody says I don't have a computer and so forth basically the resources are allocated according to the need the true need of the group so I want everyone here and all of you as you become teachers of the world to properly meditate upon material comforts hydrates it is a big one and a hard one one of the most difficult ones for all disciples to master it is part of the first initiation testings and don't think that uh, when you've passed the first initiation that you've actually passed material comforts hydrates testings it goes to the second initiation and the third initiation and in the fourth initiation, oh, wonderful. Um, the soul has to get rid of its own material comforts hydrates. How does it do that? Does anyone know? It sacrifices itself. It sacrifices its own sense of identity on its own realm. It dies. Um, and that realm that it's living in is inundated with beautiful visions, concepts, the whole... What, what in Buddhism is called the Alea Vijnana, the storehouse of consciousness is all there, must die to it. That's material comfort also. Material comfort is also your images, your mind, the images that you produce in your mind. You can have reveries, yes, and things like this. Um, you can sort of go into all sorts of imaginations of things that you desire. Um, you can write fantasies for yourself and so forth. Um, the mind itself is a material comfort later on. The types of things that you um, hallucinate on over and over again. Um, that, oh, that's, 
um, easy to think about, complacent and so forth, rather than um, forcing your mind into new challenges in order to write books or to um, produce works of genius, rather than just sitting and regurgitating the same thoughts over and over again. That in itself is a material comfort. Okay? It relates to the third initiation. This particular level of material comes I've just given you the delivery of the mind or the um, regurgitating... Usage oh, of the mental resource. That's right. You're just simply being complacent with your thought structure and not giving yourself challenges to move on, to push on, to eliminate the old samskaras, the old habit patternings of mind. If you just simply are complacent, you're not going to evolve. You'll not become an initiative high degree. Every moment of initiate's life is one of overcoming challenges, of having to think new ideas. Um, I'm used to disciples coming to me and saying, give me, give me. Um, um, teach me this, teach me that. And likewise of Jesus and so forth. But the true master says, ah, I shall give you a mechanism where you can think it out yourself. And so we get rid of complacencies that way. We make the disciples work for their uh, images. And once they've done the appropriate work, then we can give them a little bit more information, the next step forward for them, because they've actually done the basic homework. They've actually challenged their minds. With regards to discipleship, and this is my eighth point here, um, is uh, such things as food fads, pseudoscience, um, wrong long mental images where I've just gone into comforting arguments to use of money and other resources. Now, pseudoscience, I'll go particularly into this one because this is another one that um, is very common in disciples. They look at modern science and a wrongly or prejudiced, um, slanted view upon this because it supports their arguments. But they don't understand science at all. They don't understand how science evolves, the way scientists think. If I looked at um, anything that comes from research, um, to quote it as a statistic or something like that, the first question I would ask as a scientist, and I've done a science degree so I know, is who commissioned it? Was it Monsanto? Was it the dairy industry? Was it the cattle industry that's, that's um, trying to get you to stop being vegetarian? Was it a particular um, food company that's trying to get you, or a pill company that's pushing their agenda to make you consume their product? Because the scientists involved are paid to slant the result of their researchers to feed that particular commissioner of that industry. And believe me, judges are bribed and so forth. I could go into this for, for at length if I wanted to write a really lovely thesis of the way um, that science nowadays has sold out the corporations. The corporate interest, interest rules. Maybe 30 years ago or 40 years ago, there were genuine scientists that were working um, for what they call um, research-only programs. But now... Um, the corporations have bought out the universities. The scientists will lose their job if they upset the apple cart, if they go into pure research that does not feed 
um, that corporations desire. The researchers are slanted. As a matter of fact, there's an old adage, and this comes from the Victorian era. Um, lies, damn lies, and statistics. It's easy to lie with statistics. Um, who, how do they slant the original questions? What is the population, the, 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 um, the target audience? Who did they sort of choose um, out of the whole population to ask the questions about? Because you can target your, your questions to a select group that's going to give you um, the answers you want. And then there's your statistics and so forth. So this pseudoscience is everywhere. Um, you know, it's, it's like um, the old sort of um, debate about evolution, the Darwinian sort of um, theory of evolution. This is oh, the, the dogma of scientists. But the evidence doesn't support it one little bit. What the evidence supports is creationism. But you read every textbook on science and it teaches Darwinian evolution with not one shred of evidence. They can't even sort of um, say how, uh, how life originated in the first place. What we have is catastrophism all the way through. The um, Cambrian explosion and so forth. Or, you know, I won't go into it all. But this is science. Science is a, a religion, it's a dogma. It's not based on much fact. Because it slants its dogma. And I showed you all some time ago um, how there's life on Mars. But science tells you no life on Mars except maybe the most primitive bacteria. But you can see it from your own eyes, from the NASA satellite photographs. Civilized life is there. Therefore, where's the dogma? And it goes all the way through to your pills that you eat. When I was at university, my thesis and my major was chemistry, of course, and um, analytical chemistry. Now, in analytical chemistry, I did an experiment. My major, my major sort of experiment was this. It was on biological transmutations. What is biological transmutations was? Well, it's a book on um, Professor Kirvin, and he's done a lot of research on showing that the body can transmute the elements it needs. If it wants calcium, it can make it out of phosphorus. Without biological transmutations, there would be no alchemy. But modern researchers in science don't look at this subject at all. They won't touch it. This professor and all of his colleagues were, of course, ostracized as anyone else that manifests research that's heretical to the mainstream science. In other words, people that don't understand the way science is conducted, they quote this again and again and again. Science says this, statistics says this. No, forget it. When it comes to health and all the rest of it, you know, the Buddha was perfectly healthy. He was a vegetarian. And he gained the highest enlightenment without the use of science, without the use of um, um, modern-day science. He didn't have to worry about um, vitamin B12 and all the rest of it. He simply gained in his enlightenment. And there were millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of vegetarians that lived very healthy lives, thank you, um, from before his times right through to, to the present. 
without having to know all of this science in order to live healthy lives. They had their own science, and their own science was esoteric. Understanding the nature of the chakras and the laws of life, incorporating the ifrit vehicle, prana, and the science of prana, the science of what really makes healthy food. And so the material comforts hydras also comes into this that I find in modern discipleship is pseudoscience, people that believe in science without understanding science. They like quoting the, the latest, latest quotes because it's been fed to them on the internet or wherever they get it from. So basically again I've got number nine, follow the true middle way um, of the Buddha in all things and begin to live your life more esoterically, thinking more about um, the laws that have governed life since time immemorial and not since this epoch of modern materialistic science. Scientific materialism is a dogma. It is a religion. It's nothing else. Now, the last point I've got here, and this is the most esoteric um, aspect and what it's really all about, what your whole life is about, and what um, the entire planet's life is about. Um, as you begin to conquer and master this material comforts hydra. And that's the prudent, um, equanimous building of a mandala of light, a vajra craft, a UFO. You're building through proper resource sharing the mechanism to escape from this planet, the mechanism to travel to the stars. You're not going to build this um, as you waste resources as you waste your emotional resources, as you waste your um, mind in, and um, wrong usage of thought and so forth, you've got to learn cooperative sharing. Even NASA, they finally had to sort of give up their plans of space conquest and um, join with the Russians because it's all too costly. They actually have to learn to share and likewise the rest of the planet. That's, of course, through materialistic sort of um, science and rocket ships is not the real way to conquer the stars. You're never ever going to sort of build the, the um, speed to escape um, the, the, um, the travel the distance. You actually have to do it through building crafts of mind and learning biological transmutations, in other words, divine alchemy. And this is proper resource sharing. Is the basis to it. So you build a mandala of light, a Vajracraft or UFO, and you can travel. This is the future of the Earth globe. As people learn material compass hydras and how to overcome it, we will enter the new age proper. And then the new age proper through resource sharing and the, all these other things I've mentioned will start to build these ships of light to travel to the stars. It's the only way to get there. So, um, when everything found there is perfectly placed, the law of economy rules. The law of economy you can read up in, in um, the treatise of Cosmic Fire, and that's one of the fundamental laws that govern our universe. 
And when you learn proper resource sharing and start to master material comforts hydras, then you're working with the law of economy, the major third ray law. And all of this is the diva way. The divas know resource sharing. The divas know the law of economy. That's their law. You'll learn the diva way through learning how to cooperatively um, share your resources and not be selfish. At one. Because it all is one space, one mind, one consciousness, one universe. It's not two, not three, one, one only. And as you develop the higher consciousness of your meditation minds, you start to merge your mind with the minds of the masters of wisdom. You become them. They are you. You become them because your mind is still separated from theirs by your separate (coughs) consciousness. And what group consciousness is all about is to overcome separative consciousness until there's only one mind. Separate minds within the one collective consciousness, and this is hierarchy. They read your minds, they're looking in your mind spaces at all times. And later on, you will share their mind space. Isn't it nice to know that there's no secrets, no little closets of mind that you can hide yourself from? It's all there to be read by the Master of Wisdom. Nothing you can do or think or feel emotionally or act that can be hidden from you. And later on, you will share that with a group of brothers and sisters. That is what you're evolving to, is you take your certain initiation and onwards. So, it's the diva way. And it's because karma is all that there is here, that we're talking about. The way karma is manifested, the way karma is propagated, and the way karma must manifest itself because of the way you have abused your resources, your mental, emotional and physical resources, your karma resources, your samskara resources. It could just add to, in our form of discipleship, one of the big sacrifices, which we've mentioned a little bit, but... um, not from this point of view, which is the sacrifice of your own ways of doing things and thinking things, but particularly the, the harder <laughs> sacrifice of your thoughts, because that it is a hydra or, or an attachment. And it's actually, it's one thing to give up a cigarette or to give up a, a particular form of a meal or some sort of clothing, but to actually give up your habits of thinking, mm-hmm. you know, and that the, the attachments we have to that, and that's, you could add to that point ten, because the actual emergence with the meditations of the great ones involves actually quite difficult extractions mm-hmm. of old thought patternings from many, many um, ancient sanskaras, and they actually can take a really long time to get rid of, but you, you think you've got rid of them, and there they are again in another version, and it's really, really yes, much more yes, painful yes. physical. I talk. I mentioned this earlier in one of these points: the habit patternings of thought, the, yeah. the lethargic forms of thought, the, the forms of complacent forms of thought, which you must overcome in order to move on on the initiation path. Obviously, to overcome all of these samskaras, all these attitudes, it's not. Um, it's not easy. It takes uh, quite a long time. The whole part of the discipleship <coughs> is. Um, revolves around and eventually you must get rid of the whole concept of ego Um, Buddhism teaches you this the whole Buddhist philosophy is based on this you die to ego you die to the concept of self the concept of I, me, mine 
That's an aperture of Kapha Tidra. It's a big one, yes? It's separative in its, um, in its attitude. And that must also go until you merge with the collective mind that is hierarchy. So there's your third initiation. That's third initiation still. Um, there's higher than that, much higher. Following from Jen's comment about uh, attachments to physical things, I think, <clears throat> I guess when you're talking about initiates, anyone, but particularly, it's, it, that, that kind of comes back to either an attachment about a sense of self, like a projection or a notion of sense of self, or um, a, an attachment to a particular idea about how things should be or how we should live, you know, it can even be to do with health or whatever. And so at the root of, of these material comforts, we can have ignorance, but then you, you, you've also got pride and or, uh, you know, concrete mind or will of mind. And so almost in a sense, giving up material comforts is actually addressing those It's of course, things, the right? whole nine-headed hydra. This, mm. As I said, this is the mother of all of them. Mm. Um, and I guess there's the material comfort of relationships as well or our attachment to relationships in the past you've always generally pointed that out quite well a bit of course there's different different versions mm. of this but um, one can look at all of that but these are the main ones that mm. I just said it's um, in this society in particular it's the whole concept of your life and relationship to what is called money and mm. what money can buy um, that's fed into you and fed into you from a very early age um, another thought that I had was about service in the sense that you do spend money on those things that enable you to serve, such as we could look at our library or the extensive art collection, Buddhist art collection, that we also have in India. Now people would say, well, that's using a lot of resources, that's using a lot of money. So in that sense, that because hierarchy do spend money, because we're still living in money times, in terms of if it furthers the plan in terms of education and the building of uh, empowered civilization. Yes, right? that's right. The New Age community yeah. and a new sort of monastery, the new monastic style um, necessitates the resources, but it's for the benefit of everyone of the community oh. and not for individual selves. So the individual, the, the whole community shares in the library resource or in the art resource, um, in the, the gracious um, buildings that are built, the New Age style of building. Um, working with divas and their construct and working with the harmonies of sound and colour, um, with the laws of nature and the law of economy. Um, these things is what we're working with, so there's not individual karma generated as group karma, but the group is building what I call this uh, mandala of light, the eventual spaceship um, that will allow them to travel onwards into cosmic space um, some lives hence, because they will evolve this resource-sharing concept to um, further uh, higher and higher and more sublime levels as they free themselves of materialism so they travel deeper into subjective space and as they free themselves more and more from um, attachments associated with the gross aspects of subjective space so they enter then into cosmic space as a group not as individuals it's a self-propelling prophecy of advancement so um, 
um, you learn to share. You learn to let go of your personal needs and amalgamate or merge them into group needs, into the needs of the planet as a whole, and then the needs of the cosmos as a whole as you travel that way. And you're accepted into hierarchy as you let go of your personal, your concepts of personal needs, personal self, personal vitality, um, the I am, the me, me, me concept. I guess just I had a sort of further question comment going from the service thing because, um, like say with um, the Vorics and the whole Agni Yoga community, three of one of their their principles was beauty, knowledge, and truth. I think, or, or infinite striving, and the thing about beauty, like it seems there is some. Not that beauty is directly tied to money, but, you know, for example, to make this temple as beautiful as it is required a significant output of money, although we did it incredibly cheaply, given how beautiful the temple is. Um, but, you know, there's, there's something that, as a community, you do have to, at some point... Aesthetically say, beautiful is the way divas work. Yeah. Look, this is, the, this is the proper use of resource sharing, mm. Right. Um, as I said, we're not uh, to live like uh, in, in the gutter and filth. We actually sort of produce the, 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 the collective wisdom, the collective resources of the group produces the beautification, the aesthetic um, harmony and the appropriate um, resonance of the resources that the group as a whole has. It has to be the noble middle way and um, without um, the... Um, excessive um, abuse of the resources because of the late uh, self-aggrandizement. The, the group itself as a whole can also manifest its own form of material compass hydrate as a group um, because you depends on the nature of the group and you actually have to show the proper uh, harmonious living style that's expected um, within the society of which you are part of so that it's non-abusive of resources and actually um, is the epitome of the proper way of resource sharing. The whole world needs to know this particular topic inside and out because it's the whole um, crux of what has gone wrong in our society. The misuse of uh, or the abuse of this particular hydra. It is so elementary. It's based on selfish thinking. And separate Okay, we can go on and on with with, um, with what's wrong with society, but th- this is um, the basis. You can all see. So, therefore, it's cooperative sharing. Um, all forms of cooperatives is what we're talking about, and all forms of proper, true socialistic attitude, where um, you're working for society as a whole, uh, for the common person, not for the, the mega rich. This particular hydra incident is a very difficult one to master. <coughs> and um, it's, um, the fine-tuning is, is also difficult to explain because a lot of it does depend on... Um, it's a, a shifting um, yardstick, so to speak. It does depend on the um, society and the, the needs of society that one is in. There's a difference between material comforts, hydra, say, um, in a place like old Tibet or even in India or a rural 
sort of um, third world country and say here in the West um, because you're, fi- you're actually following the middle of the road way um, between, you know, extremism of, of, um, of consumption of resources and being um, frugal to the point of insanity or the point of idiocy. Um, there, there has to be a proper middle-of-the-road way, and it is different um, per individual and different per group. It's not that one just can't say that you must just we must all be extremists and um, and basically sort of um, you know wear the, 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 the cheapest of clothing and and uh, whatever. It's not the case.